Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and I'm the host of this podcast. And it's my pleasure today to introduce two guests to you. Today, I have Professors uh, Janine Brown and John Dunn with us. Janine Brown is Professor of New Testament at Bethel Seminary. She is the author or editor of nine books and numerous articles on the New Testament and biblical interpretation. She also serves as a member of the Committee on Bible Translation, which is responsible for the New International Version of the Bible. And we also have John Dunn, who is Assistant Professor of New Testament at Bethel Seminary. He's the author or editor of eight books and numerous articles on a variety of subjects related to Bible and culture and the intersection of the two. John and Janine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So... Today, I want to talk a little bit about something you did uh, with an initiative here at Bethel Seminary that we call Seminary for Everyone. And for those of our listeners who may not be aware of it, Seminary for Everyone is an initiative where we open up classes of Bethel Seminary to everyone, which is, of course, the clever name of Seminary for Everyone. And it's an opportunity for people to experience just the kind of teaching that we do at Bethel Seminary to strengthen their understanding of things and uh, to just enhance their their walk. And you taught a course called Jesus Now Playing, focused on how Jesus is portrayed in the Bible, in ancient media, and in contemporary media. So I thought we'd have a conversation about that today and kind of extrapolate some of the things that you you did there. But uh, let's start by, by asking the question, and John, we'll start with you. Why is it important to think about how Jesus is portrayed in these different ways? Well, I think films in general are just so, you know, ubiquitous in, in culture and society. It's it's a major way that we experience storytelling. Um, we, we go to see films, maybe not so much during COVID, but certainly with the rise of streaming platforms like Netflix and these other other venues, uh, we, we uh, ingest a lot of stories via this kind of visual representation through television shows and even films uh, that way. And I think Jesus films are interesting because they give us this kind of opportunity to kind of have an imaginative exercise. You know, we are perhaps familiar, very familiar in some cases with the stories about Jesus contained in our Bibles uh, and may have read them many, many, many times. But there's something about um, a, a visual representation or experiencing the story in a different medium that can cause us to think about it in new ways. It may not be the the way that, you know, we think it went down or the way that, you know, seems like best to us, but it, it, it is provocative in a way that can cause us to go back to the text and be like, you know what, there's some things here that I, I, I hadn't quite thought about this way, or you know what, I've always thought about it in, in a, in a, I've always thought about it in this particular way, and maybe there are good reasons to revisit that. So I think, I think it does kind of open some doors for us for exploration. Yeah, and I would say then it, it points us back to the fact that we have four Gospels and not one in the New Testament. So mm-hmm. already we have Jesus portrayed different ways. Um, I think those are um, ways that correspond to each other and uh, can be heard consistently, and yet they are distinct. And so in our class, we had students uh, regularly reading the Gospels, all four, as they were watching Jesus films and reading some other ancient narratives about Jesus. Um, So the four Gospels themselves invite us to be, in a sense, viewing or reading uh, four different accounts 
sparking our imagination in some different ways as we think about Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of the ancient portrayals. Start with that and and that. What what was some of the things that you used in terms of ancient portrayals uh, of of Jesus, and how do they? How would you summarize differences between the uh, canonical Gospels, Janine? How would you How would you think of that? Yeah, um, we had students certainly read the four Gospels and dive in deep there. So they were just kind of grounding their work around the New Testament pictures, these four pictures. Um, but we also had uh, students engaging, uh, reading the Dia Tesseron, well, reading and skimming the Dia Tesseron. It's very long. <clears throat> you can find it online. Uh, and it's, it's the first uh, that we have, harmony of all four Gospels, where uh, all the features are brought together into a single story. So one week we talked about harmonization and that impulse to take those four portraits we have and amalgamate them in some way. Uh, so that was a key text that people read. We had them also read uh, the Gospel of Mary when we talked about um, the portrait of Mary or the portrayal of Mary in films, because she's kind of really picked up on as an important figure in some Jesus films. Uh, the two that we kind of saw really rising to the surface beside Jesus, Judas and Mary, are given more time mm. in sometimes ancient Gospels besides the New Testament, outside of the New Testament, and also in modern film. So we, we had a chance to kind of lay stories up against each other and then to go back to the canonical gospels and say, well, how much do they say about Mary and Judas? Of course, Jesus is the centerpiece of all of these, but it was interesting to look at some of the side characters as well and to say, how do they become larger than life in the Italians, not just in the 20th century in film, but also in the ancient world, in these non-canonical gospels. Hmm. John, would you add anything to that? Uh, things from those ancient, uh, ancient portrayals? Yeah, we really wanted to stress in this class that, you know, the way that a lot of ancient gospels or ancient narratives about Jesus that go beyond the canonical ones that we have um, are doing a lot of things that are actually kind of similar in many ways to what, let's say, modern cinematic gospels are doing, these modern Jesus films. They they are kind of retelling the story with some interesting um, decisions that are quite similar. And, and so thinking about what does it look like to retell the story or why might the story of Jesus be retold, we can see a lot of parallels in, in, in how that is sort of done. And I think, I think um, what it also does is it, it, it gives us a, a, a new angle with which to look back on, on the text of the Gospels themselves. So for example, one of the other ancient texts that we had uh, students look at uh, were the uh, Protoevangelium of James and the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. So these are both uh, infancy gospels that are trying to tell us a little bit more about what was Jesus like as a kid? What were those early days like? What were, what were his parents' uh, interaction with him like? You know, how did he interact with other kids? How did he interact with his uh, superiors, you know, his teachers, for example? Mm -hmm. And and uh, what 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 those films or sorry what these ancient texts do is is they then cause us to go back and look at at the canonical gospels and realize oh we 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 don't have a lot there right we have a little bit from from Luke in terms of this story when he's twelve years old but even beyond that the the only kind of birth narratives or 
material that resembles infancy gospels, if you like, is what we get from Matthew and from Luke in the very beginning. Mark doesn't give us that, and neither does John, really, right? And so, so this, um, this it causes us to to think about how just as just as these. Um, ancient narratives are trying to tell us more because we have this curiosity about, you know, what was, what was it like? What was it like? We see how actually internal to the four gospels themselves, that's a, that's something already taking place. Matthew and Luke want to tell us more about what it was like. Now, of course we regard the, the, the one, the ones in, in our, in our Bibles as, as being historical and the ones outside uh, being just more speculative and imaginative and, and motivated by different theological impulses. But it's just interesting because it, it causes us to, to, to think about how, how, uh, how the gospel compositions themselves sort of uh, arose and developed, uh, guided by a lot of those same concerns. And I think that that's uh, maybe a fascinating thing that if we, if we don't do these types of exercises, we might not uh, pick up on or think about as much. Mm. That raises an interesting question in my mind, and that is the... Obviously, we have the canonical Gospels, which most of us or most of our listeners, I would imagine, receive as God's word, and, and we, we treat it as such. And yet, things like the ancient texts that you're referring to are not recognized as canonical. They weren't uh, incorporated into the New Testament. Uh, is there, I'm trying to think of how best to frame the question, is there a, is there a concern or a, a danger of... Uh, in a sense, reading into the the canonical text from these external texts, bringing things, ideas, uh, or or events, maybe not events because they're not in there. We know that, but but theology and ideas back into the the text. Uh, how how would you respond to that? Uh, either one of you, somebody want to jump in and take that one, Janine? Well, yeah, that filling in the gaps, as we call it, is is something that we're prone to do. And, and, and that is, I would say, it's not a bad impulse. Um, it is actually the case that um, stories will have gaps in them. In other words, they don't tell us everything. Uh, and, the, and Matthew, for example, doesn't have to tell us about the Roman Empire, which is you know, very apparent to anyone living in the occupied lands um, of the Mediterranean world in the first century. So there, it, it's important, I teach my students when we study the gospels to fill in gaps with good historical information. Um, so the tendency, uh, the need to fill in gaps is already there. And it's the question of what do we fill gaps in with? Mm. Um, so I would just say that the, the for that impulse isn't a bad one and we have to do it in a sense. If we mm -hmm. don't fill in to that sort of Roman occupation kind of backdrop, we'll read the gospels, uh, I would say maybe a little more Pollyanna-like. In other words, we won't feel the weight of an occupied people. Mm. And I think that's important to, to hear in the Gospels, even if it's not mentioned at every turn, it would have been felt. So, um, so I think uh, what viewing Jesus films does, what uh, looking at those ancient non-canonical tellings of Jesus, Jesus' story, so non-canonical Gospels does, it, it, it heightens our awareness potentially of how we are already filling in gaps. I think that was one of the powerful lessons for me of this course for myself and then seeing students doing it is that people were like, oh, I didn't like this about this Jesus film because I see Jesus like this. Mm. So there was this heightened awareness of our own lens 
because we have to fill in gaps. Uh, it just simply is one of my favorite examples, and this came even in week one, was uh, the issue of humor. Was Jesus funny? Hmm. Um, some movies, he's just a stitch. I mean, it's just very interesting. <laughs> 1993, Matthew, it follows the language of Matthew all the way through. It doesn't deviate from the language of Matthew except a little bit at the beginning as an intro. And he is funny. And some of the teachings that we hear right from the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 7, for example, and the log in your own um, your own eye and, you know, the speck in your that is a funny saying. I, I get that. And, and they made sure you knew, knew that that was really funny. Jesus mm. was funny. Um, so so just the way humor, and, but other portrayals, he's very somber. And people reacted both kind of in both directions, saying, I didn't picture Jesus this way. That idea that I didn't picture Jesus this way is a really helpful hermeneutical moment, interpretive mm. moment, right? Oh, I was I was filling in gaps. I was thinking either he's completely somber, or he's funny. Like in the chosen and other John, you can fill in some of the places where we see other places where just humor is so so vivid, and other places where it's so he is so somber. Hmm. Um, that can just help us understand. Oh, and it can help us imagine maybe a historically plausible way of thinking about Jesus as a human being. So probably had a sense of humor, but what does that look like in the first century world, in the Jewish world? How do we see that? The word laugh doesn't show up much in the canonical gospels and Jesus doesn't himself. Gospels don't say he laughed. They see other people laughed and they have a teach, some teachings of Jesus where laughter is mentioned. Um, you know, some laugh now, others will laugh later kind of idea in the Beatitudes and in Luke. But otherwise we don't have that portrayal. So we have to somehow fill in a gap. I, John, I'd love to hear you Mm -hmm. Give us some more of that in Jesus' film. Yeah, I, echoing everything that Janine just said, I think what's really interesting too is that um, in, in addition to that hermeneutical moment that Janine was talking about where we realized how students were kind of filling in the gaps about the characterization of Jesus in different ways and they were reacting to the films they were watching uh, in very different ways. I think it's interesting too how humor kind of kind of works in a lot of these Jesus films because what it, what it seems to be doing is uh, critiquing a tradition within Jesus films itself. So Jesus films tend to, especially in the first really the first century of Jesus films, they they portray Jesus um, in a very docetic way where he doesn't even really seem to be human very much at all. Mm -hmm. um, he's, 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 he's stoic, he's rigid, he's uh, kind of otherworldly, doesn't really seem terribly human. And so the humor kind of humanizes him personalizes him yet you know he 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 was he was a, a a real person and he actually had relationships with people and we see him we see him laugh a lot like Janine said in the 1993 Matthew film there's also this film from 1999 simply called Jesus by Roger Young uh, the Chosen more recently does this a lot and and this idea of this human Jesus who's kind of laughing and making jokes really yeah really kind of humanizes him but what I find so fascinating is in the ancient um, uh, gospels the ones especially outside the New Testament for example the gospel of Judas um, Jesus laughs a lot in that mm. in that gospel but what he laughs at is the misunderstanding of the disciples so he, he 
says something quite esoteric, people don't get it, and then he laughs at them. And 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 the Gospel of Judas is 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 a more Gnostic gospel. And what's interesting is how humor serves a very different purpose in that text. In that text, it serves a purpose of emphasizing his otherworldliness, going in the exact opposite direction of how humor is being used in in uh, contemporary Jesus films, which is something that I just find uh, uh, quite interesting as well. Hmm. So as you look at the both the ancient and the modern portrayals, were there, you've already talked about laughter as kind of a trend in both. Are there other trends or themes that you identify as you looked at how Jesus is portrayed? Were there commonalities, certain common questions that, uh, that are being addressed by these various portrayals? John? Yeah, on, on the point about um, some of those some of those infancy gospels that we had uh, students students read, we paired that with uh, a cinematic infancy gospel, if you like, called Young Messiah. And Young Messiah kind of imagines, uh, you know, Jesus as as a young boy uh, still in Egypt prior to the trip to Nazareth, and it imagines him as actually um, ha- having done some some miraculous things um, and and kind of being misunderstood because there's some. Uh, demonic sort of uh, manipulation going on behind the scenes. And so people are misunderstanding what he's doing and he's trying, he's, he's like unsure, like, how am I able to do this? And he doesn't quite know who he is. And long story short, it's really this kind of coming of age story, if you like, about Jesus kind of trying to figure out who he is. And he finally does. And, and it kind of climactically ends, spoiler alert, with, um, with, with Mary sort of revealing to Jesus who he is in relation to God based upon her knowledge about him from the visitations that she uh, previously mm. previously experienced, and it does a lot of really interesting interesting things. It's 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 an attempt to fill in the gaps um, of, about you know how did Jesus come to his self understanding, and where was there ever a time where he had to sort of learn to control uh, certain abilities that he had? Uh, obviously, speculative, wildly so, but. But what's interesting is it does seem to be following some of the same cues that we see in the ancient uh, gospels outside the New Testament. So the infancy gospel of Thomas wrestles with this as well, but it wrestles with it in a way that kind of imagines that Jesus was in, in some ways unlike any other kid because he has some interesting abilities, but kind of just like any other kid because it's it's the miraculous things that he does. He does with a kind of uh, boyish selfishness and boyish impulses. For example, a kid bumps into him and Jesus like curses him and he falls dead. You know, that's the infancy gospel of Thomas, right? It's, it's really kind of vindictive, but it's sort of like, it's, it, it seems to me, um, I think a charitable reading of this gospel, this infancy gospel of Thomas would say that what it's trying to do is it's trying to imagine how does a real human, right? A real boy uh, sort of, uh, you know, deal with, the fact that he's not just merely a, a little boy. And I, and I think, yeah, we might not do it that way, but, but if we, let's say, do it differently, we're not rejecting filling in the gaps. We're just filling in the gaps in another way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and that's one of the, going back to Janine's point, that's one of the hermeneutical things that we really wanted to stress. But, but the, the, um, what's interesting to me is, is how this, this, this story, Young Messiah, really kind of seems to be building upon, you know, elements of, of, of Luke about what Jesus was like as a boy, but also, more importantly, some of these other traditions outside the New Testament. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, helpful to connect those dots. And there's more, there's more to say there, but that, that I think uh, kind of highlights enough. Hmm. 
Well, you have to say that then he he brings him back to life. You got to mention that part in the Gospel of Thomas, right? He <laughs> well, <laughs> smokes right. him and then <laughs> whatever it is. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, well. Well. The one the, the instance when he brings the the kid back to life is when um, he 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 did not kill that kid, and and he brings the kid back to life so that the kid can tell the townspeople, yeah, Jesus didn't kill me. Uh, well, that's right. That's there's <laughs> two instances. Yeah, it is a yeah. Hey, there's there's too many people that die in the infancy gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a pretty thing. It's well, it's kid stuff, right? It's uh... <laughs> you know, it occurs to me that one of the things that we wrestle with as followers of Jesus, trying to understand, is that the fact that Jesus is both fully God and and fully human, and you know, the, the two natures and how they interact. I mean, theologians spend, you know, careers wrestling with that whole question. Uh, do you have a sense of whether, I'm thinking particularly of, of contemporary media, uh, do, do films do a better job of uh, highlighting his humanity or his divinity? Or what, what would your take on that be? John, you look like you're eager to jump in on that question. Well, I'll just say really quickly that I do think that that Jesus films uh, tended to over overdo a kind of more descetic view to where it was basically not human, even though we're visually watching, a, you know, uh, an actor perform uh, really kind of descetic in its in its mm. in its uh, representation. But there has been a shift towards a more kind of human focus. I think the the turning point was probably the last temptation of Christ, Willem Dafoe's um portrayal of Jesus. That's that's a film by Martin Scorsese. It's a very controversial film. It was banned mm-hmm. in some countries. Um, but I, I think ever since Willem Dafoe's very human portrayal of Jesus, ever ever since then, there has been uh, an uptick in, in more uh, human representations. But I, I would say that um, one that stands out is the 1999 film called Jesus by Roger Young, because what in my view, what it does is it is it actually ends up with um, an explicitly uh, canonic version of of uh, Christology. So kenosis uh, comes from Philippians uh, chapter two. It's this idea that that the Son of God uh, emptied Himself of divinity. That's that's one way of understanding kenosis. Um, it's not my understanding of kenosis. And Janine just wrote a, a commentary on Philippians, so she could tell us more about that. But this film, I think, very explicitly utilizes this idea in the temptation narrative, because when Jesus is being tempted in this film, basically Satan is is saying, like, you have to, you know, strip yourself uh, of, of your relationship to the father of your divine mm. powers of all of these things. And so it's a very explicitly canonic uh, uh, film, this this idea that, that Jesus actually poured out all of his divine powers uh, as opposed to, let's say, uh, taking on uh, humanity as, as, a one, as another understanding of kenosis, which, would, which is how I would understand it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I do think you yeah. see that transition, uh, you know, that movement over the course of film, um, much more ethereal that Jesus is walking above. I always say we can read the Gospels like Jesus kind of walks on the top of all of it and doesn't really get into the, the heart of humanity. I don't think that's the right way to read the Gospels themselves. So I think actually the Gospels, I would say, do a better job of giving us both if we're really open to hearing sort of both. Mm. And it, it's a hard thing to hear. It's sometimes I have students who read the Gospels and they only see the divine Jesus and other others who see more of only the human. I, I think there's a, I think they give us both and we have to listen for the cues 
in that in film it feels like it, they sort of air one side or the other because it's hard to do both or maybe they maybe more recent ones have tried to do both by bringing in that very human Jesus without losing a sense of um, his divine sense of identity being you know one with God um, one of the commonalities that I wanted to really briefly mention is just that in film in the last hundred plus years we have pretty much a white Jesus. So mm. if there's a commonality, that's probably not helpful. <laughs> it's that these are, you know, white film, you know, filmmakers that come primarily from the West and it's a very white Jesus. And I think that's probably is not helpful for our cultural imagination mm. because we, we don't really see him. Uh, although some more recent films have tried or portrayals have tried to make him a more Middle Eastern, um, more um, Jewish, um, I don't think we've always had that. We truly haven't had that. So I think that's something that needs a corrective. And we're seeing some of that, John, potentially in more recent films. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, more more uh, recent films have tried to uh, address that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a common thing. And then when we factor in the kind of docetic portrayal of Jesus, and then that is coupled with this kind of white portrayal of Jesus, I think that actually is really problematic. And we could interrogate that uh, a, a bit a bit as well. This kind of you know, white godlike, uh, you know, per, you know, kind of divine whiteness or something that I think is mm. actually really problematic. Mm. So if someone is listening to this and they, they're thinking, boy, I'd like to bring in some, some of this into my preaching and teaching, um, what would you suggest to them? How would they, how would they go about doing that? Uh, Janine, what, what would some thoughts be? Well, I think um, first I'd want to remind people that as they preach the Gospels, they should be looking, uh, they should help their hearers to see the gospels as wholes. So, you know, I've written a book called Gospels as Stories that try to help people uh, kind of think about how do we teach and preach and understand um, Jesus across an entire gospel, you know, the Matthean portrait of Jesus. There's something very valuable about that. So I just wanted to mm. start with that because I'm, I'm sure people want to preach and teach the Bible, the New Testament in this case. And so that the gospels are very rich that way. We, mm -hmm. we have sometimes just taken little bits and stories and mixed them and matched them. We've done the harmonizing thing. And it's not inappropriate to do a sermon where you do some harmonizing of a single episode. But if we stretch ourselves to really see how could I help people see Matthew in the next few weeks, not the next three years, but the next few <laughs> weeks. Um, so that would be just my press initially. Um, and then what I'd say about films is simply that if you can, if you use parts of films and, and visuals from Jesus um, portrayals, um, really think about that filmmaker's perspective or what we have, we call the second horizon when we're teaching the course. Um, the first horizon being the life of Jesus and the second horizon being how it's portrayed. Be aware that there's always, there are always choices being made, perspective on Jesus. So rather than just show it and, and kind of imply that this is exactly what the Gospels are talking about, talk about the filmmaker and the setting it's made in and, and why, it, why Jesus might look like this. I just think mm. that's really helpful. It's a gift to people to start to think interpretively about what they're seeing and what they're doing in their own mind with Jesus and what they're seeing in front of them. Mm. 
I agree with that completely. And I would, I would just add that uh, I think that this applies even to those Jesus films that ostensibly are just giving us the text with no interpretation. And here's just a visual representation of what's happening uh, right in your Bibles. And you can read along with us. There are a number of Jesus films like this, actually. And, and that's actually how we started the course and wanted to kind of demonstrate that even, even these films that, you know, when you, when you look at how the, the filmmakers talk about it, they want to be a faithful representation, or you look at how um, uh, people who, who have watched the audiences, how they review it, they talk about how accurate it is, et cetera. Um, even these films, right? And uh, that they're making particular decisions at every step. They're, you know, sure. Every, at every step, there's, there's different things that you have to you have to make a choice about when you are go when you are going to visually represent this material, and um, so in, the, in our first week we tried to highlight that, and it's just I think really important uh, as Janine said not just to kind of uncritically say hey we're going to watch this film this is how it went down, <laughs> we want to actually like reflect uh, uh, and 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 converse about um, yeah what what's going on in the second horizon even when there doesn't appear to be a second horizon because mm. there is there always mm -hmm. is a second horizon uh, what we don't want is a, a Jesus film that gets rid of a, their second horizon because that's impossible I think it's better if if the filmmakers are more open about their second horizon so there's a Jesus film from the 70s called the Jesus film it might be the most most uh, viewed Jesus film I mean the highest grossing is the passion of the Christ. But I think the Jesus film, um, because it has had missional evangelistic um, and apologetic purposes, I think it probably was uh, the one that was distributed the most and viewed the most internationally. Um, mm -hmm. But but what's so fascinating about that film is it is a highly edited version of the Gospel of Luke. It's got some harmonizing stuff in there too. It 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 purports to be a, well it calls itself a documentary on on the Gospel of Luke. Um, but the the filmmakers when they talk about it, they said they said things like oh we, we shouldn't even bother with credits uh to this film because we gave them the gospel uninterpreted and um it, frankly that's just wildly untrue uh and i and I, and, and and my my thing is is not you know okay we we need to we need to um just jettison jettison this film because it it, it has a second horizon i think what what what's more helpful is is if well as viewers if we recognize it but i think also if we if we can see uh, how the filmmakers are um authentically and honestly addressing the jesus story in light of their second horizon those are mm -hmm. some of my most uh favorite jesus films because if what i want is something that's quote-unquote biblical i should read my bible Right. Mm. I mean, that's that's my thing is, uh, you know, if, if I want to if I want Mark given to me biblically, I should read my Bible. Um, but but I think what's valuable is is just like I might pick up a commentary on Mark. There is something about watching a Jesus film. If we if we think about it as an interpretation and we engage mm -hmm. it as such, not as a mm -hmm. not as a mere representation of, quote unquote, how it went down. But if we engage it as an interpretation, I think there's a lot of value in that and that um, we can we can reject parts of it or all of it. But I think it's it's it, it can help us sort of strengthen like, OK, what do we what do what do we really think is going on in Mark? And it just it, it brings us back to the text every time. And that mm -hmm. I think is is its greatest value. I love that analogy of a film being analogous to a commentary uh, and an interpretation that is, you know, it's obviously dealing with this, the subject matter and, and the text in a sense, but it's not the text. And um, 
and, but it's a, it is an attempt to interpret it and, and to offer insights that could be valuable. That's, that's really helpful. Well, as we wrap up, I've got a, just a couple last questions for you. Um, one of them is if somebody wants to, to dive into this, first of all, what would be an, if you said you got to read one ancient uh, resource and I'm going to put you on the spot, you got to pick one contemporary film. Uh, what, uh, Janine, what would you recommend for those? One ancient, one modern. Well, um... I, I got ancient. Uh, so outside of the Gospels, are you saying? Outside of the Gospels, yeah. We're gonna okay. we're gonna take well, as a given that everybody's reading the Gospels. Oh, um, well, I, <laughs> that's hard. Yeah, you know, I, it, the, the idea of pairing is kind of nice. So if you did the Infancy Gospel of Thomas and the Young Messiah, you could hear some of those common kind of back and forth pieces. Um, I really I, so I read the Gospel of Mary and watched Mary Magdalene, a 2018 film uh, together. And that Mary Magdalene film was really intriguing. I was a little suspicious because she's been portrayed in all sorts of ways that do not, you know, do not comport with the gospel. She's not a, um, she's not a prostitute or a, um, a former sex worker or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the Bible never says that, New Testament never says that. So I was kind of hesitant about the film, but it, it, it did a good job of, putting more flesh on her and, and as, uh, showing her as a disciple of Jesus, you know, follower of Jesus kind of deepened that certainly mm -hmm. added. So I found that an interesting combination. Again, paying attention to second horizon in both cases. Sure. John, you had a little more time I, to think than Janine did on that one. Yeah. Not um, fair. <laughs> my, my, my favorite Jesus film is Mary Magdalene um, as Janine was just talking about. And I, 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 I know that I think. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that was the kind of um, impression that I got from the class is that, um, you know, students were watching different films, um, but but I think I think where I saw the most um, appreciation was the week that that we we talked about Mary Magdalene, and I, I think um, I I think there are so many reasons for that. I think there's the representation of Mary that is um, fabulous. It is kind of a rehabilitation of her character because of uh, what Janine's described um, the 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 church tradition about Mary, but also the Jesus film tradition about Mary. Um, it's it's all I think kind of terrible to be honest uh, and then and then and then there's some recent there's some recent films that have started to get it right and and I think it's not that Mary Magdalene gets it right what I really mean by getting it right is 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 um it doesn't fall into these uh clear uh, problematic uh erroneous things like like describing her as a former sex worker for example um but I I think that um it it does a lot of interesting things in regards to Mary's character and even in regards to Judas's character that's quite fascinating. But, but one of the things that I appreciate most about this film is its portrayal of the triumphal entry. Um, mm. I, find, I find this actually to be one of the most compelling portrayals uh, of, uh, in any Jesus film. And, and, it, and it's one of those examples that where, where I, was, I was referring to how um, it, a, Jesus, a, good, a good Jesus film can bring us back to the text and, and make us ask some new questions and engage it in some different ways. Um, I think in, in, in my reading of the gospels, 
you 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 have this clear sense that you know Jesus is the center of gravity in this scene, right? He comes into the temple and all eyes are on him, and that's how pretty much every Jesus film portrays this event. But the um, but Mary Magdalene portrays this event, I think, really with some historical imagination that is is quite compelling because it imagines, hey, this is a massive temple complex, right? This is a huge precinct. And there's a lot of people ushering in and it's going to be loud and commotion, just like any big, you know, crowd that you've ever, you know, been in at Disneyland or whatever. So imagining it imagines the disciples as, and, and, and Jesus coming in kind of like almost on, on the fringe of this complex, trying to rile up the crowd. And, and mm. some people some people are into it, but a lot of people are just going about the regular business that they're about and it's it's a big momentous occasion but it's 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 momentous for the people who are paying attention not for everybody else and Mm. i just found that to be the most uh compelling representation and 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 like i said it it brings me back to the text to think about it um in in some new ways and i i appreciate it for that Mm. it's great i'm not familiar with that i'll have to check that that film out so last question, are there any resources that you can re- uh, recommend to listeners? I mean, obviously there's specific films, we've talked about some of those, but also are there, are there things that uh, you would recommend to just kind of help people approach this topic if they want to start incorporating some of this into their, their preaching or teaching? We'll put any references you make into the show notes for folks to, to check out. But uh, John, what would you start with uh, in terms of any resources? Anything to recommend? So there, there are a number of, of books on, on Jesus films that are uh, a bit encyclopedic, kind of like, here's all the, here's all the films, not all of them, because there's, there's actually a lot of Jesus films, but, you know, here's most of them are the most significant ones and, you know, kind of like a, a nice breakdown of what happens and, and, and where you can find it and all these things. Um, there's one in particular by Richard Walsh and, and Jeffrey Staley that, that is, that is quite, quite good. Um, but then there, there are others that, that are, get more into the analysis of, of various elements or various stories. Like there's, there's, there's some that uh, ex- exclusively focus on the representation of Judas. There's some that, mm. that, that kind of break it down a little bit uh, in different ways. Um, Adele Reinhardt has a great uh, book called Jesus of Hollywood um, uh, published by Oxford University Press. And, um, and, 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 and there's, there's a few others um, certainly, but uh, it depends on, depends on how much of a deep dive or kind of a broad overview you're interested in, you know. Janine, there's one by Tatum called Jesus, oh, Jesus at the Movies by Tatum is in its third edition. So it kind of goes through some key Jesus films or what they, that person considers to be key Jesus films. So kind of an easier read too in terms of film analysis, but not not that encyclopedia of just facts and dates and such. So a little more flesh on that one. And and I would just say, um, read a good book on the Gospels. I mean, Gospels of Stories was one of the books we had students read so that they could think about portrayal already in the Gospels. Because mm. I think we, we wouldn't want to miss that. Part of what we wanted to do was really help students to ground their thinking about the Gospels in ways that saw sort of the cinematic scope of each Gospel. Mm-hmm. If we don't, if we can't do that, then we're going to think we're doing apples and oranges. And we really wanted people to see the connections between mm-hmm. ancient and modern tellings, even canonical gospels. Mm-hmm. And in fact, those as the base for what people are often doing in their Jesus stories. 
Well, thank you. This has been great. Uh, we're, we're past time, a little bit over, but uh, we could go on for a long time with this. But this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you both so much for being a part of it and for investing in the scholarship that you do that helps build up, uh, build up the church. Thanks for being here. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, if you are listening and are curious about Seminary for Everyone, I want to encourage you to check out the show notes uh, or to go to www.bethel.edu and you can search for Seminary for Everyone. We have offerings uh, regularly throughout the year that we're planning to uh, that we're planning to be offering that will, as we said at the beginning, give you a, a taste of seminary education and. We try to make things accessible and relevant, and it's a way of either continuing education or uh, just dipping your toe in the water in terms of, of seminary education. So I encourage you to, to check that out, and perhaps there'll be courses by uh, Janine Brown and, and John Dunn in, in the future. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. If you have questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, please feel free to email us at whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. Once again, that's whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, by emailing us at wholeandholy at bethel.edu. Once again, that address is wholeandholy at bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.